0: Hey everybody, my name is Alex and welcome to Lunchbox Radio. So, I, the first thing I want to do is apologize for last week's episode. It went up a little late because there was some upload problems, there was some kinks in the wire. I um, swiftly stamped them out with my foot, hopefully. And if all goes well, you'll be hearing this in time. It'll be out. I mean it's usually out by the time you list, by the time you're looking for it but I just wanted to make sure that you knew if you went looking for it at the usual time which is right around 10:30 at night on Thursday um it was not there because uh, I, life hates me technology is evil I don't know I don't know what to tell you just the world conspired against me in terms of getting my podcast out on time that day um, also, I apologize for any background noise. My roommate is watching TV, but um, uh, thank you if you listened to the Dark and the Black episode. If you missed it because of the late arrival or what have you, um, you can go and check that out in the feed. It was the last one. It was uh, interesting. To talk about that show and go back to that show because I it's it's an interesting idea for a show and it is this wholly weird original concept that is not like what we'll talk be talking about this episode which if you don't know by the um title we'll get to that in a second but it's just like dark in the black is just a weird it's like a sod experiment in animation form, which I appreciate. Um, But thanks so much for listening to it. And on that note, I want to jump kind of straight into this because this might take a while. (laughs) Um, And what we will be talking about today is a little show called... Gundam UC or Gundam Unicorn. Now, a lot of you have probably uh, noticed, if you've been listening to the show for a while, at least since, I think it was last Christmas, that I've talked about Gundam before. And if you've listened to me for longer than that, back when I used to do a podcast with my friend Lauren, who well, I'm duty-bound to say hi, Lauren, if you're listening, um, <laughs> you'll, you'll also know that I did a podcast on that on that little schematical podcast. On G Gundam, which, believe me, we'll get back to G Gundam, but because of the way Gundam is, I'm kind of giving myself free roam to talk about just Danny Gundam because I, I mean I've seen a lot of it. There's a lot more than I've seen, and it's just this big e- space opera operatic epic thing. And since I've been spending a lot of time in space lately, because I confined myself to my quarters and watched, basically allowed myself to watch nothing but Gundam until I was done with Gundam Unicorn, Um, my reprieve from that was playing a little game called Starlink Battle for Atlas, which for those of you who don't know about that game, I since I have a Switch, I... It's, it's the closest thing on Switch to No Man's Sky, and No Man's Sky is like a weird quasi space adventure thing, but uh, Battle Atlas is nonetheless more story focused. But it's 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 like a it's, it's like a relaxing ride through space with occasional gunfights, which I'm I'm all into. Um, so, yeah, I've been spending a lot of time, like, in, like, like, with my brain in this outer space somehow, and that certainly pertains to Gundam Unicorn. Now, before we get into Gundam Unicorn proper, I feel like I need to give anyone listening who hasn't, um... Watched any Gundam before? Because there are people who's like, "Oh, that thing looks insane!" And there's lots of robots and punching, and there's a blonde dude. Um, I want to give them a little primer, and it will probably help for people who know something about Gundam too. Because most people don't know everything about Gundam, and if you do, what how how much of your life have you spent learning about Gundam? Be honest. Um, but so. Gundam is it, it kind of one of the pinnacles of anime. It it debuted in what is considered to be the golden age of the end of the golden age of anime um which is I believe 1998 or 1989, which is the year I was born. Um yes, I'm old. But then Gundam kind of took on this like weird life of its own because it It has an underlining philosophy that war is bad. Have you heard war is bad? Because war is bad. But as it's kind of grown up and, like, morphed and changed, it it not only has the attitude that war is bad, but that while war is bad, there are no... Good guys or bad guys. They have do a good job of using the framing of war with giant robots involved on both sides to create these character moments and these epic rivalries, and that leads to some rules about the Gundam universe. Um, now, there are two kinds of Gundam. There are... Well, you have your A Gundam, your B Gundam. No, um, you have your core Gundam story, which is often referred to as the UC timeline or the Universal Century timeline. And then you have your kind of like different Gundam, the, Your what people refer to as a non-UC Gundam. An idea of um, a non-UC Gundam show is something like Double O, or like, um, Gundam, or like SD Gundam, if you know what I'm talking about, then you know that I'm deeply insane because I've seen that show. It was on Toonami, but I've still seen that show. Um, or G Gundam, or, um, there are other ones, but non-UC Gundams are Gundams that don't try to exist in any kind of timeline or trapping. Um, But the UC Gundam, the Universal Century Gundam, follow a very specific timeline, and they're very very specific characters that kind of go through that timeline completely and that you encounter um, in that timeline. So, also, there are very specific rules to what happened in a UC Gundam series. So generally in... um, Oh yeah, also another a huge example of non-UC Gundam is... Two huge examples are Gundam Wing, which started the Sexy Gundam Boys craze, which if you want to know more about that, you can listen to my episode of Gundam Wing, but you can also go... Hilarious you can go watch hilariously Ben at the stage is episode about Gundam Wing that he did roughly the same time at the same time for roughly the same reason, <laughs> which is Gundam Wing is kind of a Christmas movie. So he both of us covered that at the same time, and I reached out to him on Twitter. I'm like, you reviewed probably so much better than mine. He's like, ah, don't tell yourself short. Yours is okay. I'm like, thank you. Um, but, um, so the things like some of the big tent pole Gundams like Gundam Wing, Gundam C, D- Double O, um, G Gundam are non UC Gundam, meaning that they exist in their own universe. They have their own rules, they have their own like trappings. But then there's the Universal Century timeline which usually involves pitting one character who does not want to fight like against a character against char- a character or characters who attempt to force him to fight for their end goals and oftentimes that character that character the antagonist character the character named char oddnable and I know this is starting to sound like a history lesson and it kind of is but bear with me because it gets fun in a couple minutes because um oh also I've also done a, a podcast on I'm on Gundam on Gundam Iron Blood orphans which I'm not sure if that's That might be, like, a weird middle ground Gundam, because it supposedly exists, like, hundreds of years, like, 400 years after the, like, end of the Universal Century. So, it might be considered UC, but I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. Um, but everybody's fucking dead. But everybody from the UC is fucking dead in that show, so it doesn't really matter. Um, but they reference, like, the UC wars and shit. So, yeah, but one of the things that if you've seen Iron Blood Orphans, which was a really popular show um and actually only ended, I believe last year, it only completed last year um one of the things that you will have realized is that Gundam has an odd tradition, has a strange tradition of naming its characters really fucking weird things. So you have, in um, Iron Blood Orphans, you have a character named Biscuit. You have a character named... Um, you have two characters named Cookie and Cracker. I'm not kidding. Um, But then you also have characters like... um, what, Named totally normal names and named like european and american names so it's like it it's we so it's like if we all went into space and had fights but we were fighting alongside like p- the children of people who were named by like pop stars and famous people and so it's just like oh hello apple like what what what's happening but so Gundam has that tradition, and in full swing, um, there is a character in UC Gundam named Full Frontal. It's supposed to be, like, Full Frontal Assault, but everybody always <laughs> thinks of it as Full Frontal, like, nudist flasher, almost. At least that's how I think of it in my head, of him just, like, lunging towards people ripping open a tren a red trench to being like BOF Frontal Um which it's it just it's It helps the the one thing that the goofy names do help and we'll get into why th- this help why this is in a minute is these stories tend to be... The Gundam UC stories specifically tend to be awfully, awfully melodramatic. And they tend to like, drag on. And some of the things that save you from the craziness is that they are just characters named Full Frontal. Like in Gundam 00, there was a character named Lock-On. Um, the the main character of Gun- of Gundam 00 is named Menager Length. Uh, there was another, there was a third one. The other blonde dude. Um, but, it's, so, like, <laughs> you'll have these, like, deep, meaningful moments of, like, mech pilots fighting each other, then just, like, Full Frontal will show up and somebody will just stare straight into the camera menacingly and be like, Full Frontal has arrived. (laughs) It's just goofy. And it's kind of the best. Seriously, it's kind of the best. But, so, Full Frontal in Gundam Unicorn is kind of the char character. And then there's always a character in the mold of someone like, Amar Ray or um, Ray Am- i forget how to say his name—but he's the original. He's the original Gundam pilot from the UC, like in the first Gundam. Um, Amar Ray is the first pilot, but I think that's his name. I think that's his name. Let's go with Amar Ray. Um, and then there is always a princess. And, um, in, in UC, I forget who it is in, I forget who it is in the original Gundam, but in UC Gundam, it's, um, a character who goes by two names. One name is Audrey, the other name is Mineba Zabi. And... Somewhere, the, the overall, like, fighting is pitched between two different sides. One side is called the Principality of Zeon, and one side is called the Federation. And, and at this point, it's helpful to think of it as the Federation being, like, the allies and the, and Zeon being the Axis. Or even better, the... Federation being... And I'm giving you these comparisons because this is really how the show pushes it. Um, Or, And actually, the even better scenario is almost the Federation being the Union and Zeon being the Confederacy. And before you freak out at me, the reason why I say that is because the show pitch the first pitch of the show is always look at the Zeon people they're these like impenetra- they're like impenetrable almost nazi like in their di de- in everything from their design to their rhetoric to their actions, and like they have this they have this salute that is Zeke Zeon, which just sounds so much like Hail Hitler, just so much like it. It's like part of like part of me is like, you know, you're half black, right? <laughs> These people would come after you. Um, and so that's how the show pitches it initially. But then what it does, and it does it really in to serious effect and to meaningful effect for the first time I've ever experienced in, in Gundam Unicorn, is it personalizes both sides. So it immediately shows you how kind of... the interior life of the characters on the Federation side. But the unique thing about Gundam Unicorn is that it shows you the... In- the internal life of both sides. It does that on the conf- on the um, Federation side by the opening of the show. You open on a Federation in like a Federation school building, and you experience that. And then later on in the show, you experience life as in as part of the Viana Empire. Empire or what you the show comes to call the space noids. And this is one of the things that's interesting about Gundam and I don't think that it was I think that it was sought out at first, but I don't think it was initially thought out by um the I, I don't think it was as sought out as it could have been by the first Gundam, um, directed by Yoshiaki Tomino, the the crazy man himself, um, who is literally famous for directing Gundam and then being insane. <laughs> but, um, basically, what Gundam, what the conflict of Gundam stems from, primarily, it's the fact that what happens when not only does humanity? what happens after humanity has reached for the stars and exists and and the world and the world of humanity expands beyond Earth? And what I mean by that is in all Gundams there are a class of people that are in this case called the space noids. And that means people who were born in space and have never experienced Earth, have never experienced anything other than artificial gravity and the or living in space now that I think it's in um Gundam Double o that they have a like bone density thing <laughs> was it like our bones are like? Less dense because we live in space with no appreciable actual gravity, so we have issues if we spend too long on Earth. Um, that's not explored here, but the thing in all of Gundam, and actually most of Gundam, is that one side of the equation is unbalanced. So, what that means is That either the people on Earth or the people in space are not listened to. or Are not listened to or are not considered to have a valid right to govern themselves, basically. And that leads to what they refer to in the Gundam Universal Century timeline as the One Year War. And I promise the history lesson is almost done. But, 20, 21 fucking minutes into this thing. um, it, uh, The One Year War basically ends with Char dropping a whole space colony onto the Earth. And fucking up the Earth. And all sorts of stuff happens before and after that. It's all chronicled. You can go fucking watch it all somehow, I'm sure. Actually, I know how you can go watch most of it. Most of it you can go watch on a YouTube channel, because Gundam is... Just Bandai got sick of people pirating Gundam, so they're like, Here, just take all, take all the stuff we're done making money on. Um, But you can go watch a lot of Gundam. I'm not sure how much Gundam, but you can go watch a lot of Gundam in most places. I don't think Florida, weirdly enough, because I gave this to Daryl Surratt, and he was like, Yo! I see a bunch of stuff, but not the thing you told me was here. And I'm like, I swear it's there. But he, when he clicked on the thing, it denied him the right to watch it. So that led to a Twitter fight. But um, I basically, you can go to a YouTube channel called Gundam.info, and they have most of Gundam up there. But... So long story short because I'm done with giving history lessons on this fucking thing. Um the one wore what happened because Char Aznable tr- like helming Neo hel- helming Zeon and then Neo Zeon tried to uh, attack the Federation and try to win independence for the space noise, meaning the people who have only ever known life in space, because they aren't considered... Th- they are an afterthought in terms of the Federation government, meaning that the Federation consider- takes, gives first priority to people who are living on Earth, but gives very little attention to people who are living in space, and how people living in space deal with things. So just because the world is insane, let's use a thought process here. Let's say that the people on on earth make a product that the people in space buy, like food, like some sort of food. The trade the trade rate there would favor the people on earth, not the people in space. Hence we want some rights to negotiate this stuff. We want to govern ourselves. We want to be part of the government officially. Yeah, yeah, on guard, and uh, the and this is where the like them being a bad person, them being bad actor, falls apart because and they make it very clear in Gundam U- Unicorn that. Most of the human faces in a war or in on the side on either side of a conflict are not fighting. The people who are fighting are like the, the military part of it, but then there are whole other sections of people, like another population's worth of people who are not fighting a war. So let's say that amount on the Neo Zeon on the Theon side is four million people. The four million people uh, stay with the stay with Zeon because they are living out in space and they need to have the right to govern themselves. They they are fighting for democracy, and when you look at it that way, the Federation starts to look different. And in the original, in the original conflict between Rey and Char, you understood what Char was trying to do, but you never felt like he wasn't the bad guy. You never felt like there was. Anything so redeeming about him that he was worth listening to and worth understanding. In the case of Full Frontal, who is, let's be clear, uh, I don't want to say he's overweight, but he's not, like, rail thin. He is a healthy-looking white guy with insane blonde hair, who has... a god complex. And if that sounds familiar to you, then congratulations. Welcome to 2018. And welcome to America. God damn it. (laughs) But, um... Gundam Unicorn does a great job of giving... Full frontal slash char because it, it suggested all up and down this motherfucking show that he is Char, he is actually Char Admiral somehow propelled hundreds of years into the future or some bullshit. Um, but the thing that gives that character legs in a way that Char never had is that. They present you constantly with the idea that the federation is, has done bad and has done bad things, has destroyed the intention for the inhabitants of space to have a fair say, simply so they can control everything, and simply so basically a few rich white. Fucking men, old rich white old assholes, can control not just the government, but basically the entire universe. Now, this is important because of our care of our kind of two leads. Um, there's Menager Lynx, who unwittingly becomes the pilot of the Unicorn Gundam. Who, and the reason why he does that is to help a character who he referred to as Audrey, but in actuality is Princess Maneva Zabi, and Zabi, Z- the Zabi Empire is a precursor to the Zeon Empire, and they started the Zeon Empire, so she is she, she, she is a princess of one of the bad guys, but what they're trying to, but what she's trying to do, and what, um, Menager is trying to help her with, is preventing is to get, is to prevent and to get to prevent anyone else from getting and to get a object called Laplace box. And Laplace's box is this, like, mystical fucking thing that exists somewhere in space. Nobody knows what it is. Nobody knows where it is. But they know that the people who preside over it, who technically own it, are a family called the Vist Foundation. And to give you an idea, this is another rule that lots of Gundam shows have. And that is the idea of this middle entity. This entity that is somehow powerful enough to resist the pull of either side of whatever war is happening. And in this case, those people are the Vist Foundation. And the Vist Foundation are basically space oligarchs who have insane amounts of money and influence, because that never goes away. And it all stems from this box they have, Laplace's box. And you find out later that... Menager is the illegitimate son of Cartius Vist, the the head of the Vist Foundation and the family, when he, as beginning began the show... Before he dies. So Cardius gives him the Unicorn Gundam. And sets up the weird conflict that happens throughout the show. But And here's where... Here's where lots of Gundam annoys me. Is that... They never quite write a show... G Gundam came close, actually, where the lead character is not either a, like, raging sociopath ready to murder on, the, on behalf of anybody who tells him to, as long as it's in the name of good, or a, like, Shinji Ikari-esque whining wimp. And that's true of G Gundam, of, um... Now um Domon is he he has like a thing for vengeance and they work it out differently so he's not quite killing anybody um most of the time but in this show Menager is like he just so he is so resistant to the idea that anybody has to die. For or, or people have to fight and he he's constantly asking and this is actually important in the show which just the way they did it drives you a little nuts like why does everybody have to fight? Why is war the only thing the only thing in people's brains constantly? And this is where we approach another vital point of Gundam and that is that Gundam always says war is bad. But it often says, but often also says, war is frivolous. So, and it does that in two ways. It does that usually with the end where it it clearly maps out the way that this could have gone but didn't because human beings are morons. Actually, it does it in three ways. So it does it that way. It has multiple characters tell you that humans are irredeemable assholes who will always try to murder each other. Like, that is a constant stream of thought in the show. Um, In Gundam Unicorn, they have a weird obsession with, like, we fucked up the Earth permanently, kind of, and we don't know how we're going to get it back, but we fucked up the Earth. Um, But... And... Gundam- in most Gundam, they point out over and over and over and over again, not by telling you, but by, like, demonstrating it out through the plot, which is kind of ingenious, usually, that there's really no reason for any of this shit to happen. That all of the shit that's happening it, it, it could could be... Stopped if somebody just stops and tries to talk to each other, or somebody stops and gets out of the fucking robot suit and just says, hey, get out of your suit. We're going for a donut. We're gonna figure this shit out. Instead of hanging out in robot suits and laser-sorting each other. And there exists a kind of centuries-old grandfather hatred in lots of the characters of this show that feels very real and feels very understandable. But what... What the show does effectively with this stuff is I think it... It shows you purposefully that the people who ...act on that hatred... ...are... ...are weak. It, it's not... ...it's not because they're not good people... ...that they act on that hatred. It's not because they're not... ...it's not because they're not human anymore. It's because... ...it's precisely because they have this weakness. This... ...this humanity that was... ...ripped from them somehow. Um, There's a character in the show... ...who... Lost his wife and daughter to a, um, fe- to a federation raid on his home on his city, where they went raping, pillaging, and killing through the entire city and killed every lat, killed and raped every lat, woman and ch- woman and child and person basically, who was not who was, who was there at the time and he. Came back to his wife and daughter dead. It takes a lot. It takes a lot of a person. To forgive. People who did that. It takes a lot of. It takes. Not just a good person. But a truly. A. Truly. A truly good person I guess is the best way I can put it to forgive to forgive that kind of action even if it's not the even if you because even if you find the person who did that it's not just the person who did that it's the peop- it's the people who who allowed that to happen it's the whole op system opposite to you if you want if you want a great, weird um, book you can read or listen to that demonstrates this, um, you can go read a book called The United States of Japan, which is also a book that kind of centers around giant robots. And what it. And spoiler alert for the United States of Japan. So if you're reading the book or you already want to read the book. Um, maybe skip over the next couple minutes or so, but um, I'll make it short. Um, but basically, the United States of Japan does the first book gives you this kind of parable about this kid who lost his parents due to the Japanese soldiers and the the rough the rough sketch of the book is that the world war 2 went the other way Ger- germany and japan got rights to america and carved it up and japan got like most of the western seaboard of japan of america and germany got the eastern seaboard so um united States japan is like california all the western states basically and, but in this book, um, the main character, Ben, is an author in the USJ military. Um, but by the end of the book, you find out that the big kind of linchpin part of the book that begins the book, um, a little video game called the United States of America that envisions America as it could have been as it is now, was designed and built from the ground up because of him, because he had this lasting hatred for the United States of Japan, for the Japanese Empire, because they killed his parents. And the book ends with him dying, but it also ends with you, the reader, or the audience, Knowing that he carried this hatred with him throughout the entire book and throughout his entire his entire life his entire internal life that you don't haven't even read about, and he created this thing in defiance of even the thing that he worked in so and the, the second book kind of ruins it because it it plays it straight in the same universe, which is really kind of disappointing. It 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 almost gets to, like, the internal conflict, and every time it does that, it kind of turns tail and faces the wall, which is unfortunate. But it both of them are good books, but I would recommend the first one if you want to understand kind of, like, the generational hatred concept. But... In Gundam, the generational hatred is so deep that only people who are like who can see so much beyond who can see so much farther beyond themselves can really overcome it and there are multiple scenes in the book in the um in the show where you see people struggling with it and you see them struggling with those with that generational packed-down hatred, lose to it. And they lose to it either to their death or their own fault. And, um, Ensign Reddy. Ensign Reddy is is the character who really demonstrates this. And he is this kind of, like, he is another tradition in the Gundam universe of having a kind of false antagonist. Of having an antagonist who is, uh, for all intents and purposes, a good guy led astray. And they have a couple of these in. They have. But they have, let's say, two of these in Gundam Unicorn. One is. Um, Marita Cruz who later clearly becomes a good guy and another is um, Ensign Reddy who uh, by the end of the series is piloting the second Gundam the second Gundam frame Um, and it's interesting because with Ensign, Red- with Ensign Reddy, they have him out loud work through the hatreds of the past. And once you hear it all laid out, and once you hear his, co- his conversation, basically to himself, but also to the audience, and lots of ex- expositing upon the aud- audience's available ear, um about things, but once you hear him lay it out all out, y- you realize that this is a show primarily about the generations of the future dealing with the mistakes and the shortcomings and the hatreds of the generations of the past. And with um, Marita Cruz... You see her basically sacrifice herself to push people into to push people into the future. And Ensign Reddy comes comes to the conclusion that he wants to help Menager and Audrey get there. And in Ensign Reddy's case, he because he was a kind of naive apes pilot from a rich family, he fell for the like beautiful princess, and he tried to force a ma- he tried to force a marriage. And she was like, "That's bullshit. I would just be your hostage for the rest of my life, and nothing would happen. I- I'm I'm here to get shit done, motherfucker." Um, is basically what she said to him. But he comes to the conclusion that he wants to be part of the new world instead of continuing down the path of what came before. And this all basically, this whole show boils down to... the fact that Laplace's box ends up being basically a con- uh, a copy of the space constitution, but ima- so imagine this: imagine that did the Constitution without? I think it's the thirteenth I think it's the thirteenth or fourteenth amendment that um, guarantees. Oh, I think it's the thirteenth amendment. That um, guarantees the end slavery, that outright end slavery. Let's say that that was added to the Constitution. But then, as it was, after it was added, after it was written in private in like the chambers, somebody came in and literally blew up the chamber with a bomb, which I know is awfully graphic considering. America, and now, and we have bomb threats everywhere. Fuck. Um, but imagine somebody just wiped that version of the Constitution off the, off the map, and all of a sudden, there was no 13th Amendment. The idea, was, the idea was given that there was no 13th Amendment, and slavery still happened. And slavery just continued on forever. Now let's um let's for a second imagine that. But let's also imagine that there was a copy of the original of the original um constitution with the 13th amendment on it. And that was found and presented as credibly as humanly possible, no one could deny it. Then America, all of America, would have to deal with the reality that slavery was supposed to have ended. The black people who were slaves, me in fact, would would realize that they were supposed to be free. The world would transform. And that is what happens when they finally get to, at the end of the show, the last, like, one episode, because these episodes are anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half each because I'm insane, and I'm like, I can watch this in three days! I barely did. Um, But, th- that would upend the government in America if that, if that happened in that way because you would presumably have a whole host of people intent on keeping slavery going and they would have if not known about it they would have somehow been involved in the orchestrating of keeping that amendment off the, off the books as it were and this uh, Laplace's well, box, the thing, the, like, goal of the show gives the space noise, meaning the people who are born in space and have never experienced, and never truly experienced Earth, the right to take part in the government in a real way. And that's when it becomes clear that... The Federation forces never knew about this. They were just they were fighting because they were told that, that they were fighting because Xion was attacking. But that all the old men with all the power definitely fucking knew. And there is a whole the so I mentioned the Vith Foundation earlier. They the portions of the fist foundation have, by the end of the show, become basically the ultimate bad guys and tried to take the box back, tried to seize control of the box again. So basically, they can enjoy a life of pomp and circumstance and grand and total influence over the over the federation and the entire in the entire quote-unquote, world government, which means everybody in space and all that shit. But it is once... But, they, but here's the thing. They don't even know what the fuck's in the box. They only know that whoever has the box has power. So they try and... So those parts of the Vist Foundation try and recapture the box, basically. That's why Ensign Reddy the like fate the like false bad guy, the false antagonist gets th- gets a Gundam model because they give it to him because they're like, okay, go get us a box back, basically. Um and it- Once they once that gets out, once that is put out into the world, the whole world does change and from that point until the end of the show, there is this feeling that this is the this is the turning point at which the future has drop kit has opened up the airlock and dropped kick the pact out of the out of the hangar door uh, out into space to freeze and die if that makes any sense that they are going that they are going to move for that the younger characters of the show, specifically Menager and Audrey, are going to try and move forward as best they know how and try to pursue equality for everyone. Now, once again, if you're living in America right now, we have bomb threats to Basically every major Democrat you can think of. Like, Barack Obama, yep. Hillary Clinton, yep. Bill Clinton, yep. Same house, but... You get the point. Uh, Eric Holler, yep. George Soros, the, like... Billionaire philanthropist turned, like... Liberal political donor, yep. Uh... It's just like and earl and earlier this week we had character we had and, and early and earlier this year I believe we had a person go in with a sub with a with an automatic weapon to a pizza shop to find a child sex ring operated by the Clinton Foundation. We we have and this is part of the reason why I kind of chose to do this show, and actually I figured this out in the middle. I'm not going to claim some kind of great all-knowingness. all, all knowingness. But, the message this show is saying about politics, about government and governance, is very similar to what's happening now. Is And what What it's saying about people's effects on, about the past effects on the future and people who live in the past who try to keep all the trappings the same going into the future. Lots of people (laughs) who describe the president, Donald Trump, as the baby boomer supernova if you will, at the last gasp of the old world. And lots of people would describe the way that things are happening now as, including me, I would, know and I'm sorry if this is more political than you used to out of me, but bomb threats, yo. Um, also, how could I say this? If you're gonna watch Gundam, you're gonna watch a show that's about a lot of politics. So it's kind of unavoidable. And go watch a show that was, pro- that was produced many times explicitly touting a certain kind of politics, like trying to espouse usually very fa- liberal ideas. So this comes with the territory. It's not abnormal. <laughs> but the bomb threats, the, like, automatic weapons at pizza parlors, the, the MAGA hats, all of that stuff. All of that stuff is a resistance to change. It is what it looks like when one group who has always had power is afraid that they're losing power. And that doesn't mean that all of those people are bad, that means that all, but that doesn't mean all of the people are scared. And in terms of Zeon, why I would call Zeon the, um, the the Axis powers is many of the people in World War Two who were part of the Axis powers were not fighting, like you know the. The Nazis were famously like they took over Germany. They were not necessarily the abs- the whole of Germany, but they were the majority. They were the majority enough, and they claim and they claimed to have enough power so that the average German didn't do anything about it, and thought that they were... And, in fact, the average German was helped was helped by that because, because of the Nazis, Germany was the first to leave the Great Depression. So... And the... Nazis fought in the name of Germany, as idiotic as the way they did it was. They tried to advance Germany in the world. And Germany has spent the rest of its existence steeply and mournfully apologizing for it. And if there is another Universal Century thing in the Gundam universe, it'll be interesting to see how the thing of Zeon is treated by people who technically lived under Zeon because they've got a lot to answer for. And yes, like, you know, but also, yes, Germany was terrible and had to be stopped. They were monsters. But we dropped, but we, uh, but America, the Allies, are responsible for The only use of a nuclear weapon in human history. So, you know, no clean hands anywhere. Uh, And... The... But what what Germany was doing, and what is happening right now, politically in America, and what's happening politically in this show, is the terror that change wreaks. It is the fear that real change, that real meaningful change in the world inspires in people who were not just served well by the old guard, but were served perfectly. Uh, And this happened in... the Civil war II. now the the thing the thing about Gundam is no good bad bad guy thing is perfect, especially in Gundam unicorn because there's bits of each in each, so yes, in look and effect the theon side is most like the confederacy and the um Union and the, um, what's it called, the other side, the Federation side is most like the Union. But in actuality, the people who operate the leverage of power in the Confederacy are most like the, uh, uh, levels of power in the, um, what's it called? and the Federation side are most like the Confederacy, and the people operate the levels of power in the Neon side are most like the Union. So they kind of like do a weird twisty tie move with the metaphors. But the show also makes, and they use Menager for this kind of perfectly, they make the point that none of this should have ever led to war. That there was a way that this could have always been avoided. That all, that everything, including from the one-year war to the conflicts of Gundam Unicorn could have all been avoided. And that's what's ultimately really interesting about Gundam Unicorn, and the reason why it makes this kind of it it makes a kind of perfect crescendo, almost, to Gundam, which makes sense because in it, it is a anniversary celebration piece for Gundam, which, if you know anything about anime, you know that long-running shows that much-beloved shows often get these anniversary projects, and Gundam was pitched as, like, this anniversary project. You see... You see... Later on in the show, you see images of some of of other Gundams throughout time, and, like, it's almost like a kind of, like, in-context slideshow in a weird way. (laughs) But... Um... The 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 effect isn't lessened by the fact that it's a anniversary piece. So I I just and I just want to talk about it because I got um and this is might not be the only universal century gun that I talk about um but I mean there is always the like twenty four episode long let's play nuclear let's play full tackle nuclear football. In, in Gundam's section of the U of the UC timeline, which even as I say it sounds goofy as fuck, um, but the <laughs> I can't believe I described that that way. I think it's like Eighty Seven or something, but just basically like somebody. I think Char steals a nuclear Gundam and Ray. And Ray Amano had to go get the Gundam back from him in his Gundam, and it's just a lot of Gundam. in That one is bizarre. Um, I think that was my first experience with Gundam. Um, but, ah, uh, uh, so I might, uh, I might or may, or probably will cover another Universal Century thing, or if not that, another Gundam. Like I said, I'm gonna get me to some G Gundam because, just because, just because. If you haven't seen G Gundam, just because. <laughs> um, But I, I, after watching this, I'm glad I did it in the way that I did it because I think that this is an important this is an important demonstration of the concept of the and I've talked about I forget what episode I talked about this in, but the con there's an important demonstration of the concept of this sins of the past reaching out and trying to hold the future back. And what that can result in, what that, what the sparks in that struggle can turn into. And it's, it's just, it's all, and it's all like lofty, insane robot battles, but I still think that it's filled with important lessons about how we should be to each other and what it means to hate someone and. What war really is, and what the people on the opposite end of, on the opposite side from you, could be like, because if it looks like a human, it smells like a human, it talks like a human, it must be a human. That that must have been human at some point. What got that human to a point where you? think that they're a monster. And it's really important to ask those questions. And I think I think Gundam Unicorn encourages people to ask, what happened to you? What did people what did other people do to you along the way to make you into a person who hates me or who I can hate because whatever it is, it's not worth it. And on that note, on that depressing fucking note, there's been a lot of bad news in the few, in, in on the on the TV lately. But on that note, I have been Alex. You've been listening to Lunchbox Radio. If you like this episode, please go and subscribe on your podcast app of choice. I promise this episode there will be a link in the description of this podcast where you can go and you can do that. You can also. If you like this episode, leave me a review on iTunes or your podcast app of choices review system, whatever that is. Um, write a little good thing, what you like, what you don't like about the show. Give me a rating, whatever you think is fair. I'm hoping five stars. But also um, on that page, if you want to like give me a monthly tip, you can. I'm not saying you should, but you can. You can. I'm just putting it out there. Um. But until then, I, and until our next episode, I will talk to you later.